Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Chloe, for your help today. We have together been in the Gospel of John for some time. Took a little break during the Christmas season. Last week, we uh, renewed our study of the Gospel of John in chapter 10. This morning, we come to the passage that describes the Good Shepherd, where Jesus says he is the Good Shepherd. Again, to lay the context, I'd like to read um, a little before that. So going back to the beginning of John chapter 10, reading through verses 1 to 15, our text this Lord's Day will be chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. But to get the context, I'll start back at chapter 10, verse 1. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who have ever come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, but who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. As you hear, our Lord is using here the imagery of sheep and shepherds. Uh, that's something uh, common uh, in, that, in that day. Everywhere you went, you would have seen sheep. Even in the towns, they might have a handful of sheep. So, every, so, so this is something everybody would have known and would have been familiar. What's interesting is he, uh, this is all coming out of talking about, remember the healing of the blind man and how he would... He had to stand before the Jewish leaders and eventually was, was kicked out of the, of the synagogue because he professed Jesus as the one who healed him and his trust in him. And so Jesus is here contrasting himself to the Jewish leaders of his day, the religious leaders, who basically, he says, are spiritually thieves and robbers that are destroying God's people. But he speaks of himself as the shepherd and his sheep. He speaks of the door. He speaks of himself as the good shepherd. And in those three aspects, he kind of speaks of, many have seen in here the three uh, parts of the day of shepherding. In the morning, he talked about the, 
the shepherd who calls out his sheep. The shepherd would show up at the sheepfold. It was usually a community sheepfold. They'd have one fellow kind of be the door and kind of watch them all at night. Shepherd would come and he'd call his sheep and they'd come out. They, each shepherd had his own distinctive voice and call and his sheep would follow that shepherd. And so that was kind of the morning routine. Then in the afternoon, they would be a little freer. He'd take, they'd be out in the pasture, but they might go back in and out. If they wanted to go into the sheepfold, they might. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the door. Those who approach come through me, and they, might, they go in and out and have life abundant. They had the security of the sheepfold. They had the abundance of the pasture and the streams. And then in the evening, as the light was going down, the shepherd would guide his sheep back to the sheepfold, where once again they might be safe. But in the twilight time, that's when the predators, that's when the wolves might show, show up. And so the good shepherd is in the context of the evening of the sheep, uh, sheep, sheep and shepherd day. So let's start looking at this text together. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's described himself as a shepherd and with the sheep. He's described himself as the door the shepherd who lies in the doorway so that no one can come in or out by him. Now he's making clear that he's the good shepherd. He's the true shepherd of the sheep. Now the word good, uh, can, uh, there are a couple of different Greek words for good. This one emphasizes that which is noble, that which has, is, is beautiful, that which is uh, attractive. And, and the word is kalos in Greek, and I just say that because maybe you've heard the word calligraphy. Calligraphy is something I don't do. Now, you look at my handwriting and you might think hieroglyphs. <laughs> uh, what, what are these scratchings or chicken scratchings? Uh, calligraphy is, that, is that some of that beautiful flowing writing. And the word means, graphy means writing, kalos, good. It's good writing. It's beautiful writing. It's, it's, it's the right writing. Well, he is the, the, the lovely shepherd. He is the noble shepherd. He is the pleasing shepherd in that sense. And what does he mean by that? He's talked, he's already identified himself as, you know, I'm the shepherd. Those are my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. He called himself the door. Now he's calling himself the good shepherd. He's taking it a step further. There's lots of shepherds. What's the good shepherd? And he describes it. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Let me read you a, an account. Uh, there was a man named Thompson who spent, a, in the 1800s, he traveled throughout the Middle East. He was, you know, he, and he wrote books and he described the geography and the culture and life in the Middle East in the late 1800s. Well, the amazing thing is, life in the Middle East in the late 1800s was just not that different from life in the Middle East in the days of Jesus. And so uh, his, his experiences and what he learned traveling was, was quite helpful. And here's what he wrote. I've listened with intense interest to the graphic descriptions of downright and desperate fights with savage beasts. He's talking about the shepherds. When the thief and the robber come, and, and come they do, the ch faithful shepherd has often to put his life in his hand to defend his flock. I've known more than one case where he had literally to lay it down in the contest. A poor faithful fellow last spring between Tiberius and, and Tabor instead of fleeing, actually fought three Bedouin robbers and died among the sheep he was defending. So here he's describing 
It was, not, uh, it was not uncommon, it was not unknown for a shepherd to die for his sheep, whether it's holding off robbers or, or, or holding off predators. And so he says, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, one commentator makes this comment that I was struck by. You notice how Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he doesn't give any graphic description of what that looks like. He doesn't describe the battle. He doesn't describe that. Listen to these, these words from, a, again, a, a, a pastor who spent most of his life in the Middle East uh, and, and reads, writes of, to, you know, he's a current writer. But he says this, Where in the parable of the wolf is the record of the great struggle between the good shepherd and the wolf? Normally when we write, don't we, 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 we like to really throw in those graphic details. But he says, there's, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't get them excited and passionate by telling about the, a dramatic battle. He passes right over it. Where is that, he says? Nowhere. The death of the shepherd is affirmed, but there are no details. Dramatically speaking, there is a missing scene. Where is the description of the big fight? There is no such description anywhere. No, this is what caught me. The absence of detail is a mirror image of the gospel accounts of the cross. Mark and Luke state simply, they crucified him. Matthew and John, just don't even, they don't even describe it. They just said it happened. I've been struck by that. How many a sermon have we heard where the, the gruesome details of crucifixion go on, are, are laid out before us? The gospel accounts don't do that. They pass over the drama of the brutality and focus on the significance and the meaning. And that's what Jesus does when he describes the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Um, and in my translation, it says he gives his life for the sheep. And this, that's not really the best way to render this word. It, I've been using it, the, the correct translation. He, he lays down his life or he places it. He lays it down. Um, it, it, that, that's the kind of language that fits well with the idea of an exchange. If I'm buying something, I, I, I lay down my money on the counter. Uh, it, it has the idea of, of giving, of surrender. He lays down his life and takes up the lives of the sheep. And notice, he, it's, it's a present tense. In other words, it's not something that has already happened. It's, it's going to happen. He's about to do this. The good shepherd, and, and there's that sense of he lays it down that sense of willing surrender as he gives his life for the sheep. And then Jesus goes on to, to, to lay the contrast that he's been building. Again, he's, he's speaking about, and, I, and it breaks his heart. He comes to his own, we're told. He came into this world and he sees the, his people abused and scattered and and taken advantage of by the religious leader of the, of the day. And so that's why he describes them as the bad shepherds, the, the violent shepherds who steal and rob, or not even shepherds in some cases, but the robbers and thieves. But now he draws a distinction that's not quite as brutal. Verses 12 and 13. The good shepherd, we're told, lays down his life for the sheep, but a hireling, 
He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the, own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The hireling is a paid worker. He has no personal interest in the sheep. Uh, he didn't buy them in the market. He didn't lay down his money to get them. Uh, he didn't uh, care for the, the mama sheep, and, and he wasn't there when the sheep was born for those that were added to the flock in that way. He's just doing his job. He just shows up. He's just, I was going to say he punches the time clock, but they didn't have time clocks back then. I, I don't know if he drew a line on the sundial. Or, <laughs> but all that to say, he just, he just, he's just doing his time. They have no interest in the business. I've been frustrated by that sometimes in the, in the, in the world of business and in the world of shops and selling. Have you ever been in a business or you know, maybe trying to do business and uh, maybe it's time to close and they're, they're, they're pushing you out that door? Or even more frustrating, you know it doesn't close till 9 o'clock and at three minutes before 9, the door's already locked. Those are hirelings. If, if it's the shop owner, he wants you to come in and spend money. You know, I get that really, I learned a lesson when I was in seminary. I, I worked for a while in a store selling leather clothing. And, um, and I got a commission. So I guess technically you, I, I might say I had some skin in the game. Uh, I didn't just get paid on an hourly basis. I did better when I sold. I remember one time as Christmas was a pl- uh, coming and we were closed and you know, already I think the cash register emptied and all this sort of stuff. And, and, and his family came out and were looking in the window at the garments. Now a hireling would say, I'm done. I've got it over there and opened the door and said, can I help you? Would you like to look at something? And that night I made the biggest sale in my, I ever made. <laughs> uh, I sold three of the, the, our best garments and out they went because it was Christmas was coming and it was cold. <laughs> But here's the point. In other words, I had a personal interest, and it frustrates me sometimes when I'll deal with people in the marketplace that you can tell they have no personal interest. They don't care. And Jesus is saying there are shepherds like that. You can tell them. You can tell the hirelings from the owners. The hirelings, they're just, they're just doing their time. They don't care. They don't care really how, you know, if the, if the sheep have, are healthy or if the sheep are safe. And he lays that out. He says, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep. So he's really, really making emphatic. He's not a shepherd. He's a hireling. Now, by, I should say this, by the way. The Bible is not against hired laborers. Jesus tells stories again and again about hired laborers, and they're the good guys. You know, you look at his, uh, you know, some of his disciples were hired laborers. Uh, so he's not against hired laborers, but he's just saying there can be a difference and the hireling of shepherds can be a problem. A hireling, he was not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So he sees a danger and his first reaction is, it says he leaves the sheep. And that word for leave has the idea of he forsakes them, he abandons them. Now remember, one of the things about sheep are they are utterly helpless. Are, these are one of the animals that are they're totally dependent on the shepherd. And I've told you how uh, sometimes they can even eat, have a good meal, and then accidentally roll onto their back and literally cannot 
roll themselves back up and they can die like that out if the shepherd's not there. They have no sense of direction. They, have no, they can't find water or food. They have no sense. And that's why we're called sheep. Well, we won't go into that. <laughs> but the point is, uh, they're dependent, utterly dependent. And so here the hireling sees the wolf coming and his first thought is not the sheep. His first thought is the, uh, his safety. That wolf might hurt him and he takes off. And again, Jesus here is drawing a, a distinction, a contrast between himself and the religious leaders of the day. The, he's called them robbers and thieves. There are those who are who out there taking advantage of the people, abusing the people, destroying them by teaching them false doctrines, making them, them slaves of, of false uh, rules that aren't biblical at all. They're, they're harmful in that way. But some of the religious leaders were just hirelings. They just punched the clock. One of the groups that comes to mind, in my mind, there is the, uh, the, the priests, some of the priests that were in the temple. You know, they would go in and say, I've got my ritual to do. I'm going to sacrifice my sheep. I'm going to burn my incense, whatever it is. I'm going to, uh, the, the Levites, I'm going to get the wood on the altar. But when my shift is done, I'm out of here. You know, they're just going through the motions. Now, there would have been some who every time they were doing anything in it, they were thinking, Lord, this is for you. What a privilege. What a privilege. It's my gift to be, my job is to be in the temple where you are, Lord, and to serve you. But there were a lot of hirelings just, just doing my job. And there were rabbis who were teaching in the synagogue, same thing. They were just doing their job. They were just punching the clock. They were just getting through it. And Jesus is saying, those are hirelings. Not necessarily harming, attacking, hurting the sheep, but hurting them by heartless neglect. And again, Jesus as a shepherd, when all of those sheep are really his, his heart's breaking and he speaks of it. So he speaks about this one who just forsakes the sheep that he's supposed to care for. He runs for his own life. And it says that the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. It's a, again, it paints a, a sad picture as the wolf comes. And some of the sheep, he says, he chases them off and, and some he attacks and destroys. Now, some of you may have had some experience. I know out in the country sometimes we've, we've heard this situation where maybe um, some wild animal, maybe it might be local wild animals or sometimes just a wild dog will get in and, and in a night, destroy a flock. And, it, and it's just devastating, financially devastating, but just tragically devastating. That's the picture he says here, these poor sheep. I remember talking with a fellow that he got frustrated with sheep. He didn't care for sheep. He said, you know what's wrong with these things? When the wolf comes at them, they don't even run. You know, they, they have no horns. They don't bite. And he says, they, a lot of times, they don't even run. They just stand there and let the animal attack them. This wasn't spoken with love and affection. <laughs> but the point is, that's how dependent they are. They're left like that. And Jesus grieves over the, sh of the hireling that leaves them to be attacked. I, I think, what, but what's he talking about? When he's speaking of the spiritual well-being of the people of Israel, 
what's he talking about there? How are the hirelings leaving them in danger? Well, I think part of that is he's leaving them in danger of sin. Sin is, a, is, is terribly destructive and devastating. And that's one of our problems. Sometimes we don't realize how much it can ruin a life, ruin a marriage, ruin a family, ruin a nation. And so it's what, one of the passages that came to mind, remember when uh, we saw Cain and Abel, and one of the statements that was made, it said, uh, you know, after Cain had killed his brother, if you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? God said to him. And if you do not do well, here's the warning, if you don't repent, sin lies or literally is crouching at the door. And so he's trying to paint a picture. You have a chance to repent, but beware. Sin and, and the language there for crouching, it's like an animal, you know, crouching and ready to, to leap. Sin is ready to ravage you. Repent. And, and so Jesus is saying these hireling spiritual leaders are leaving the people to be ravaged by sin and, and all its destructive influence. And, and, and he's not that way. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling. And he does not care about the sheep because he has no interest in them. He has no financial interest, no personal interest. He just does He has no care for them. It doesn't matter to them if they're torn up. As long as he gets his pay and as long as he stays safe. And so, again, our, our Lord looks out over these religious leaders and he's grieved and perhaps angry. What are you doing with my sheep? How can you leave them in such danger to be so destroyed? By way of contrast, he speaks of the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he says in verses 14 and 15, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, no, I'm not the hireling. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I'm known by them. That's, you know, this, the hireling, he just saw a bunch of furry animals, or woolly animals. But he didn't need, where the, where the shepherd, he knows each one by name. He knows their characteristics. He's cared for them. He's nurtured them. He knows them. And again, that word for no, there's different words in the Greek language for no. This is the idea. It's, a, it's the relational word. It's the word of love. It's the word of intimacy. You may know the name Matthew Henry. He's a, one of the Puritan commentators from back in the 1600s. He's still good. He says this in, in describing this passage. He is known by them. Speaking of the good shepherd, he observes them uh, He's known of them. He observes them with an eye of favor. They observe him with an eye of faith. Christ's knowing his sheep is put before their knowing him, for he knew and loved us first. And it's not so much our knowing him as our being known of him that is our happiness. So one of the things he's saying is, why do the sheep know and trust and love the shepherd? Because he first knew and loved them and cared for them. 1 John 4.19 says something that's very true. We love him because he first loved us. Our love for him is a response to his gracious love. Galatians 4.9 
says this, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? But, you know, Paul kind of makes a point there. We know God, or rather God knew us, and therefore we know him. God loved us, and therefore we love him. And so here we're seeing Jesus coming. And he, knew the, he knew us before he ever arrived, before we ever existed. And, and we see his love for us, his choosing us to be his sheep, and his gracious love toward us. And we respond to that love by loving him. But we see the good shepherd who, who has a heart for his people. Do you see what Jesus is trying to remind us here? A lot of times people will have a kind of a, 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 a burned, negative, uh, fearful, or I know, resistant reaction to religion, religious leaders. But maybe that's because they've been exposed to these hirelings who were going through the motions instead of having a heart for God's people. And Jesus is speaking here and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd that lays down his life. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and they follow me. And so he's, he's speaking of our love relationship. That's where a lot of people understand religion to them becomes ritual. It becomes rules. And I wish I had a third R because that could be a good sermon. I'll come up with it later. <laughs> but but uh, religion of rules and ritual, how's that? Um, instead of relationship. And, and, and that's one of the things that struck me when I, in, in studying Hosea. I read that where Hosea, you remember, has the unfaithful wife. And, and, and what God is trying to say to Israel is sin isn't just breaking rules because you know what? We break rules all the time. I tend to do it a lot. The rules say, read this before starting to assemble. What do I do? I assemble and then go read it to find out why it's not working. I broke the rules. It was, we, we break rules and, and it does, we don't mind that. What, God, what Hosea was trying to, is trying to teach us is sin isn't breaking a rule. It's breaking a relationship. It's breaking a heart. And Jesus is trying to say, I'm not like these religious leaders you're so used to. They take advantage of you. They oppress you. They ignore you. I've come to give you my life for you. The hireling doesn't care, but the typical shepherd gets to know the sheep when they're purchased or born and he, and he, and, and he loves them and, and they love him in response. Verse 15, he goes on. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's making a point here. He's drawn the sheep into a relationship that already exists between the father and the son. To be, um, to be more accurate again to the language, and I know I'm, I'm kind of doing a lot of that today, um, 
But it's, I, I need to help you see that in verses. There shouldn't be the break that there is between verses 14 and 15. And so I'm going to kind of read it this way. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own as the Father knows, knows me. And so he's saying, I'm known, I know my sheep. My sheep know me as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That's stunning. He's saying, he loves us as the Father loves him. And that we love the, we live him as Jesus loves the Father. He's not saying to the same degree. Their love is perfect and infinite. But he's saying it's the same kind of love. It's a knowing love. It's a faithful love. It's a trusting love. It's a relational love. That, that is beyond depths of understanding. Paul expressed, it, Paul expressed it so well in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And our response is to love him in return. But again, it's not, it's not a paying a bill. It's not paying a debt back to him. Well, you love me, so I'm going to love you. It's, it's a gratitude. How could you have done so much for me? Again, First John, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, one of the pictures that you can think of that I saw someone describe it. Do you remember the story of Sully, the uh, airline pilot, Captain Sully? Uh, they were up. They, they took off from a, from the airport, and just as they're taking off, they heard this loud noise, and they flew through some birds. So many birds that the both their engines were destroyed. And this is the problem with flying. You know, when a car, when your engine dies, you're just trying to get off the side of the road. You can't really find a cloud to park on. You're, we're coming down. And the struggle was he couldn't reach an airport. And he had to do the unthinkable, the, you know, which can't be done. He, he was going to la land in the Hudson River because that was the only hope there was. By God's grace, he successfully landed and not one person died. Well, a year later, they had a, a reunion. And that was the first time some of those people ever met the pilot. Because you think about it, nowadays, you go into an airplane, you, don't, you, you just hope there's a pilot up there and they're not trying out uh, this new concept of Tesla autopilot on the airplane. You know? um, you know, but really, you, you, is there really someone up there? What's, what's he like? What's she like? And, and, of course, in the panic of getting off the boats and getting to safety, most people never met Captain Sully until a year later. And there were hugs and there were tears and there was affection. Why? Because he saved their life. They owed him their life. And they responded in gratitude. As I'm saying that, I'm reminded of a story I heard some time ago. There was a ship that went down in the Great Lakes and it was bitterly cold. And a uh, Bible school student was nearby, and so he, he, he swam in, and he saved one person after another after another out of the icy waters. I can't remember now. It, was, it may have been 20, 30 people. In fact, he did so often, the cold actually caused him permanent health issues. 
later on, so when I asked him, you know, so what are your thoughts and anything you want, you know, reflections on that experience in your life? And he talked about, you know, how God helped him and all that. But then he said, you know what's interesting? Of the however many people it was, 30-something people that I saved, he never, never once did I hear from anyone saying thank you. Isn't that tragic? And so here's the point, and that's not a guilt thing, but when we think of what Christ has done for us, we love him because he first loved us. We, we, we love him out of, of appreciation, like those people hanging, you know, hugging and, and with tears, this stranger pilot that saved their lives. Frankly, Christ has done more for us. And so what this passage speaks of Christ, Christ says that he loves us as the Father loved him. And we love him, God's people love him. As the son loves the father. He's not telling us you should, you must. We do. God's people love the Savior because we understand who he is and what he's done for us. And so if, if it's not a matter of trying to work up love for God, if that's the issue, then you don't know him. You know who he is. You know what he's done. And you love him with an eternal love that will only grow the more you get to know him. That's what he's saying. We love him because he first loved us. He loves us and he keeps his eyes on us. Here's the shepherd who's not going to abandon us, who's not going to harm us, who's not going to leave us to be ravaged by sin. I read the account of a, a, a businessman who was in the wool business. And so he took a kind of personal interest in sheep. And one time he wanted to go out and see where all this wool was coming from. It's kind of like, you may not know, we, we, we have a sh- an egg shortage I keep hearing about. And some people are saying, why isn't Walmart producing more eggs? <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be in this cabinet. Instead of saying, you know, it's almost like shocking. I mean, where do they come from? Walmart or Brookshire's. No, they come from chickens. <laughs> so, you know, where did, they, where did they come from? And so this, this wool businessman, he wanted to go out and be around some sheep for a while. And so he went to a sheep rancher in, in, in Texas. And they were out at night, and it was getting cold and dark. And as they were settling down for the night, all of a sudden they heard the coyotes calling. And, um, of course, the, the businessman was a little anxious about what that meant. And, and, he, and so the, the sheep herder uh, started building up a, a really big fire and as the as the businessman looked out he saw they were surrounded by eyes looking at him and that's when the rancher explained those are the sheep the dogs were looking out and growling they're looking for coyotes all the sheep care about is where's the shepherd and so in the midst of their danger where were their eyes fixed on the shepherd he's going to take care of us the dogs, I'll go take care of the coyotes. <laughs> but here's, here's what we're learning from this. We have a shepherd who gave his life for us, who gladly laid it down. It was purposeful. It was intentional. It was voluntary. It was substitutionary. But he loves us that much. When, when the dangers, when the threats of life and I'm not talking just physical. 
when sin is, is howling at your door, fix your eyes on the shepherd. It's his job to take care of you. Your job is to follow the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. We must trust. We don't trust in man. We don't trust in methods. We trust in the shepherd. Author went out one time and uh, was dropping his kids off at church and, and, uh, and they were going to have a lesson on, I think, the 23rd Psalm. And all of a sudden the, the, the pastor came and said, I'm sorry, I got an emergency call. Can you teach the lesson? And the guy said, okay, I can do that. And so and he was just getting ready to leave and all of a sudden the, shepherd came, the pastor came running back in and said, okay, God is taken care of. I can take it from here. And so he told the story of the, good, uh, of, of the 23rd Psalm and the shepherd. And so when he talked about how the, how the shepherd cares for his people and, and all this sort of thing, finally he said, so who is your shepherd? And of course, he thought they would say, you. And, they, and, um, and one of the kids replied wisely. Let me read his quote properly. He said, if you're the sheep, he said, who is the shepherd? And one of the kids said, Jesus, Jesus is the shepherd. And then the, the pastor was a little offended. Well, if Jesus is the shepherd, who am I? Child thought for, well, are you the sheepdog? <laughs> Children can humble us, can't they? Our trust is in no man. Now, I'm not being against people. You understand, we... we, we we, we, learn, we need to love and trust one another. But I didn't die for you. I didn't pay for your sin, and no one here did. You know, you, we, we look and we trust one another. We love one another. But our ultimate love, our ultimate trust is in Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on the shepherd. He's the one we trust. As we've been talking about the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, I just have to wonder, as as you're sitting and listening to all this, do you know the shepherd? If you were to somehow be able to interview those sheep out there in West Texas when they heard the coyotes, if you could somehow communicate with them, do do you know the shepherd? And they would say, that's the man I'm looking at. That's my shepherd. He's the one who takes care of me. But do you know Jesus Christ as your shepherd? As, as I, I'm talking about him today, and from, as Jesus has, has laid out who he is, is that resonating with you? Of course, I know the shepherd. I've known and loved him for years. Or perhaps are you hearing him, hearing these things and recognizing that's the shepherd I need to know? If you have never turned to Jesus Christ in personal faith, in saving faith, in trusting faith, come and yielded your life to him, then my invitation to you is hear what he says. He calls, he calls to all, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus Christ calls you to come to him. If what I've been saying today rings true in your heart, if you see it, then trust in the Savior. For those of us who have known him for weeks, months, years, Draw near. Don't take your eyes off the shepherd. Trust him. Grow in him. 
love him because he first loved us. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his intentionally coming into this world knowing he came to die for us. He picked up a body of flesh that he could lay it down for our sin. Father, we thank you. I pray, Lord, if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, open their hearts even today to trust in him. Father, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, may we ever grow in love for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This I pray in Jesus' name.